David shared with us. That your love for us is immense. That you, um, you suffered for us. We don't deserve that, but we certainly appreciate it. Thank you for all you've done for us. Father, because you have done great things for us and sacrificed much for us, give us hearts likewise to sacrifice and to put the good of others ahead of ourselves, just as you did for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about a window of hope in a season of difficulty. And I want to take you back in time. We need to go back before the ships of Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. (laughs) We need to go back in time before the Roman uh, Empire came into being, before the Roman Republic came into being, before Jesus has been born. I want us to go back somewhere between 768 and 780 years, let's say 777 years or so before Jesus died on the cross. Let's go back to that point in time, to a world that was incredibly broken. I mean, incredibly broken. And God's people, the the, the nation of Israel that we had read about throughout all the Old Testament stands at a pivotal moment in history. The kingdom is divided into two halves, the north and the south. The people are struggling. They, they want to honor God, but they also want to be like their neighbors, and, and, and they want to be like everyone around them and to worship like their neighbors worship. And so there's a lot of worshiping of foreign gods and a lot of things that people do and say are okay that, that God says aren't okay. And it's a broken, sinful time idol worship and and a lot of things that are just really not what God wants to have happen. But these are God's chosen people. These are the heirs of a promise. These are the people that, that God has said, I will bless you and you'll be a blessing to others. And here they are just broken and divided. And in the middle of all that brokenness, some bad things are about to happen. The first thing is that there is a new giant force Assyria. If you were to look at them in this time, you would see that on every border Assyria has, they are pushing out, trying to conquer their neighbors. They are fighting. Think of Assyria at this time like a giant Pac-Man, okay? And and, and all these little countries are like those little dots Pac-Man eats, okay? They're just gobbling them up. Assyria is gobbling things up. Now, there are three uh, distinct groups that come into play in our story this morning. Assyria, of course, is doing its thing, and there's a a buffer, if you would, between the nation of Israel or the northern kingdom, which is very, very wicked, Judah, which is sometimes wicked, uh, and they are buffered a little bit by Aram, and up here is Assyria, and Assyria has its eyes set on sweeping to the south and capturing and taking the resources of all these countries, and it's got as its prize, ultimately, Egypt. They want to make this pathway down to Egypt. 
And the easiest way, instead of going through the desert, is to go through this area that is lush, vibrant. There's water. It's the corridor that runs from Aram through Israel, through Judah, down towards Egypt. So Pac-Man, if you will, has its sights set on this thing and is gobbling up the little dots. So the king of Aram sees what's about to happen, and the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, they see what's about to happen, and they decide to form an alliance. And they want for Judah, the third little country down here, they want Judah to be on their team. But as we're about to read, Ahaz, the king of Judah, doesn't have a desire to be on their team and has a different plan. Things are really a mess. And God is about to enter the picture in a really big way. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, the seventh chapter, or watch on the screen or use your device to look at your Bible on there. And let's pick up the story in the middle of a season of difficulty. Now, the king in Judah is Ahaz. Isaiah says, when Ahaz, who was the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, when he was king of Judah, which was around 735 before Christ, and when King Reason was the king of Aram, and Pekah was the son of Ramallah, king of Israel, uh, these two kings, Reason and Pekah, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now what they do in this simple thing is the two kingdoms to the north, Aram and Israel, decide to attack Judah and to force King Ahaz to join their team. And they try to take the city of Jerusalem where the king is, but they're unsuccessful. What they want to do is to overthrow Ahaz and then put someone else there as a puppet king who will do what they want and help them fight Assyria. Now, it tells us the house of David was told. When you hear that phrase, you should know that Isaiah wants us to gather something about this land of Judah. When he talks about the house of David, he's talking about the line of the kings from King Saul to King David to King Solomon, the kings that came after that. And when he says the house of David, he's talking about David, the promises God made to King David, that there would be one who would sit on his throne forever. All those promises, Isaiah's hinting at that, that down here in Judah where the heirs of God's promise are, um, these things are happening. And the king of that place, Ahaz, was told that Aram, that is King Reason, has allied himself with Ephraim, which is also a name for Israel, and King Pekah. And when the people heard this, it said, the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by wind. There is fear, there is dread, there is turmoil, there's an enemy power knocking on your door, uh, and, and there's this bigger power out there that you, you know is anxious to eat everything around you and devour you up, and they were afraid. I want to pause to say this, right? Picture a world that is very much out of Ahaz's control. He cannot control the things that are happening to him. 
These forces that are coming against him, he didn't cause all of them to happen, but they're there. There is real trouble in his life. Now, this is something we can relate to. Sometimes, through no fault of your own, you find yourself in a very difficult space. Some of you are experiencing that now. Your income is not what it used to be, or at least if it is, it doesn't go as far as it used to go. And things are tighter for some of you than they've been in a long, long time. It's a difficult season. For others, there are things that have happened around you and your family deaths, as well as difficulties. And it's put you in a situation where you're stressed and you're stretched and you're wondering, what are we going to do? <laughs> What's the answer here? If you are in a season of difficulty, I want you to hear this and I want you to look for windows of hope because God is a God who offers windows of hope in seasons of difficulty. Such a window is about to be opened in our story. The, word, the Lord said to Isaiah, the prophet, go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub. That's a weird name. It has a meaning. The name means a remnant returns. It's a weird name. God says, take your son with you, Isaiah, and I want you to go up and meet King Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. This is a place where the water separates. Some of it goes out where they trample the laundry down, and they, it's, it's the, the water they used to wash away dirt goes one way. And on the other path, the water remains pristine. It remains drinkable, something that people can enjoy. It blesses people beyond that. It's a, it's a literal fork in the stream at the end of the aqueduct of the pool. So as that happens, they go to a place that's kind of a, if you would, a crossroad. They go to a place that's a, it's a, it can go either way, right? Things could go either direction here. That's where they're standing. Incidentally, it's the same place that years later, another king, King Hezekiah, will receive some really bad news at the exact same spot. God tells Isaiah, go meet the king with your son at this place. Now say to him, be careful, keep calm. Don't be afraid. And friends, that is God's word to you today. <laughs> be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, that is Aram and Israel. Because of the fierce anger of reason and Aram, the son of Ramallah, Aram, Ephraim, Ramallah's son, they've plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart, let us divide it among ourselves, let us make the son of Tabul king over it. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Isaiah just restates how bad things are, what their plans are. And he says to Ahaz, listen, God is sovereign. God is more powerful than, than Pika or reason or even Assyria. God is more powerful. He is stronger than the challenge that you're about to face. And again, let me say this to you. If you're facing a season, God is stronger than the challenge you are going to face. 
God says this, right? The sovereign Lord, Isaiah is saying, God is saying, I am the power in the circumstance. I am the power, not a king, not an army, not a nation. God says, I am the power here. And because of that, Isaiah tells them, it will not take place. It will not happen. What they want to see happen is not what's going to happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is only reason. And within 65 years, Ephraim too will be too shattered to even be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramallah's son. So he's saying to them, listen, 65 years from now, if you will just not even worry about this thing, God will take care of the threat for you. It'll be gone. Now that's a long time to wait. But Isaiah says, 65 years, God's got a plan. These nations won't bug you anymore. But if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That is ominous, isn't it? If you don't stand in your faith, you won't stand at all. This is what God says to Ahaz. We trust God, or we rely on your own intellect and wit and diplomacy and ideas. Now, God wants to make sure that Ahaz, who is a king, he wants him to know that God is serious about being the protector of Judah. And so God does something that's really incredible in the story. It's unheard of, actually. It's something that we never, ever hardly hear of happening, and that is that, that God intentionally says to Ahaz, listen, if, ask for anything you want as a sign, and I'll do it, so that you'll know what I'm telling you is true. This is pretty incredible. Listen to what it says in the text here about what God does. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. By the way, keep track of that phrase, ask the Lord your God. Just keep track of that. He says, for any sign that you want to have, God will give it to you, right? You'll know that what I'm telling you is true. You can take it to the bank. You can believe it. He could have asked for anything. I, I, you know, Lord, tonight I want the moon to shine bright purple, and it would have done that. Or tomorrow I want to see, you know, I want to see the army of this northern kingdom completely consumed in a day, and it could have happened, God gave him an opportunity and God saying, listen, I will show you. This is so wild. What would you do if God said, I will prove myself to you any way you want. You tell me what it is and I'll prove myself to you. Wow. That just doesn't happen very often in history. What a gift to Ahaz. God's saying that. To, I, want, I want you to know that I am who I say I am. Trust me. Believe me. You set the, you set the ground rules of the test and I'll prove it to you. This is incredible. Why would God do that? Well, for one thing, he knows the heart of Ahaz, and his heart is not good. And it's fearful, and it's afraid, and he's trying to turn the heart of a king because God knows this is a pivotal moment in history. And the decisions that Ahaz makes will not just impact him, but they're going to impact hundreds of thousands, even millions of people over hundreds of years. 
It's a pivotal moment. Ahaz needs to make the right decision here. So God, in a singular moment, offers a window of hope and a window of proof. Verse 12 talks about an ominous choice. It has to do with choosing your ally. What ally do you choose in your season of difficulty? No question, some choose allies that numb the pain. Some choose allies that are people who tell them what they want to hear. Ahaz has a chance to pick God as his ally. You have a chance to pick God as your ally. But that's not what Ahaz picks. Now, Ahaz sounds so pious in what he says next. He says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. It sounds so pious, like he's saying something really good, that that that's what he's supposed to say. But in truth, he is rejecting God's offer. In truth, he's saying, I don't need your test. I don't need any proof because I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do it my own way. I've already figured out this problem. I already know what I'm going to do. I don't need your sign. I mean, imagine that. God offers him a window of hope and he slams it shut. Then Isaiah speaks the word of the Lord. Hear now, you house of David. Is it enough? Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Remember that earlier phrase? God used to be your God, but no longer. You just slammed the door shut. He's not your God anymore, but he's still my God. Therefore, you didn't want a sign, but God's going to give you a sign. And this is it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Now, when he hears that, he doesn't hear it the same way that you hear it, knowing it's a part of a bigger story. He just hears some young maid is going to have a baby and name him Emmanuel. What's important here is the name. The name of this baby is God with us. This is the sign. A baby's going to have a name, just like Isaiah's baby, his child had a name that said the remnant returns. This woman will have a baby and his name will be God is with us. The very thing that what Ahaz has just rejected. The virgin will give birth to a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now he goes forward here and he begins to speak some things about what's going to happen. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. 
For before the boy knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. That's faster than 65 years. Had Ahaz listened, had he listened to what God wanted to say, things would have gone a different direction. Now they will. God certainly will deal with the problems to the north. And it will happen somewhere between 12 and 21 years. The word boy is important to the story there. Before he can know what's right or what's wrong. Now, some could use this to say, well, maybe it was 65 years, and we don't know what's right and wrong until 65. Some of you would probably agree with that. I don't know. But I don't think that's what he really meant. Now the prophecy that Isaiah makes. The Lord will bring on you and your people, on the house of your father, a time unlike any since Ephraim, or that is the northern kingdom, broke away from Judah. And here's the big reveal. We know that what Ahaz has plotted in his heart and what he's been doing in secret, he has aligned himself with Assyria. He's been making a deal with Assyria. He is selling out his cousins and his family members who live in the northern kingdom. He's selling them out. He's saying, you can do to them whatever you want, Assyria. I'm on your team. And up until this moment, King Ahaz doesn't think that God or that Isaiah or anyone else really knows his secret plans. But there is nothing secret before our God. He knows everything. And his eyes had to open wide when Isaiah reveals he will bring the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt, for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines, in the crevices, in the rocks, on all the thorn bushes, and at all the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head, private parts, and to cut off your beards. In that day, a person will keep alive a young cow or two goats, because of the abundance of their milk, they will give, they will eat curds. All who remain in the land will eat curds and they may eat honey. Yet in that day, every place there where there once were a thousand vines there will now, that were worth a thousand silver shekels, there will now be only briars and thorns. Hunters will go there with bow and arrow for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of the briars and the thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. Because Ahaz has rejected the word of the Lord, horrible things are coming for his people. And they are horrible. The Assyrians will decimate the northern kingdom. It will cease to exist. They will be known as the lost tribes of Israel. And King Ahaz had a hand in that. Judah had a hand in the destruction of their own family. They won't be spared. Assyria will ravage the land of Judah. 31 of 32 fortified cities will be laid waste. Only by the mercy of God will the Assyrian army be stopped during the time of Hezekiah. 
and that God will send out an angel in a single night and wipe out the army of Assyria. But they aren't finished. And even though God will spare them from the Assyrians, the Babylonians will come and haul them off into captivity. But there was a moment, long before all those horrible things, when God offered a window of hope in a season of difficulty. In Ahaz's hearing, the story doesn't end in a horrible place. Chapter 9 has this hope-filled prophecy. It relates to the one given earlier. Just two chapters. This is how the prophecy that day ended. Nevertheless, Isaiah writes, what I tell you, God always offers a window of hope in a season of uncertainty. Listen to this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire, for there will be no more need of those things. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It was a window of hope because long before all those horrible things we just talked about happened, this promise was given. And we now look back knowing that the context of the virgin will give birth to a child. This was a prophecy that was given in a time of horrible difficulty when people were making awful decisions. Yet God was offering a window of hope. And if you find yourself this Christmas season, then in a season of difficulty, then know that God, through Jesus, offers you a window of hope. Ahaz was not wise enough to receive from God what he was offering. Will you be wise enough today to say yes to Jesus, to allow him to open in your life a window of hope in your season of difficulty? 
If you would respond to him, would you do so as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?